Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Joe Biden, as president of the United States, is very well protected, all right? Everywhere he goes, he's got Secret Service agents around him, and that's a good thing. We want that. Presidents have been targeted before, and we want him to be safe. But I also want members of Congress to be safe as well, and they don't have Secret Service protection. The overwhelming majority do not have any kind of protection. Matt Gates, Congressman Matt Gates, Republican of Florida, was credibly threatened by some lunatic on the West Coast, who drove all the way to Washington, D.C., he reports, to kill him, and nobody really batted an eye. Eh, I just kind of wrote that one off. No big deal. Matt's fine. We don't have to arrest this guy. What's going on here? Uh, this is a problem, and like so many real problems, just being blown off by the D.C. establishment, especially Joe. You've seen um, these senators like Kirsten, I'm sorry, Kristen Cinema. Uh, followed into the bathroom. Ha 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 ha. Everybody kind of thought that was amusing. On the plane, she's being hassled by these activists. I don't think this is right. Uh, it only takes one nut job to take it one step further. It's happened before, not too long ago. Who remembers Gabby Giffords, right? The congresswoman from Arizona. She was shot in the head by some lunatic. And for a brief time after that, they thought about, oh, we should have more security, and then that all went away. Gabby Gifford's still carrying the scars. I'm getting better. Slowly, I'm getting stronger. And good for her. Good for her. Uh, but there has been no real movement to secure our lawmakers. And maybe this is not a popular issue to take, but I don't want to see this happen again. I also don't want to see something like uh, that ball game practice. Steve Scalise and others were shot seriously wounded. Do you remember this? This is not very long ago. And I think this has to be addressed right away. The media keeps saying, and they keep reinforcing how negative our culture is. Wouldn't it be nice if they did something proactively ahead of time instead of after the fact like they so often do? Joe Biden, though, uh, he's not kind of cut from that cloth, okay? He's more of a reactive type. And all this stuff, all this uh, toxicity, eh, part of the job. I don't think they're appropriate tactics, but it happens to everybody. From The, <laughs> the only people it doesn't happen to are people who have Secret Service standing around them. Um, so uh, it's, it's, it's part of the process. Part of the process, but people have been known to get shot in the head, shot in the liver. It's happened, and it could happen again. And the D.C. establishment is afraid, not necessarily of lunatics, but people who go to school board meetings. You know about this. They're afraid of these great women who go to school board meetings and make fantastic points and seem to be on the verge of defeating this ridiculous critical race theory. 
I don't know about you, but telling my child or any child that they are in a permanent oppressed uh, status in America because they are black is racist. And saying that white people are automatically above me, my children, or any child is racist as well. School board, I quit. I quit your policies, I quit your trainings, and I quit being a cog in a machine that tells me to push highly politicized agendas on our most vulnerable constituents, the children. I believe that CRT is the new Jim Crow. This is the new form of segregation, and my family will not stand for it. You're emotionally abusing our children and mentally abusing them. You're demoralizing them by teaching them communist values. This is still America, ma'am. I love it. I love listening to them. Uh, but the left, they get very uncomfortable when people like that start winning arguments. So they make fun of them. They make fun of us. Oh, just a bunch of deplorables, right? And they're threatening the school board. This is becoming quite dangerous. And yes, the Attorney General of the United States notified the FBI, Merrick Garland, that disgraceful letter he put out about two weeks ago. He was on the hot seat today. He had to defend this nonsense. You remember, put out a letter notifying the FBI that these things are getting out of hand and the FBI needs to be brought in. The department takes these incidents seriously and is committed to using its authority and resources to discourage these threats, identify them when they occur, and prosecute them when appropriate. Now, this is a kind of a chilling thing. The AG telling the FBI that we have a problem at school board meetings. So far, They've gotten a little bit heated, and when there is somebody who gets out of line, the cops are there, just in case. They arrested some guy who, by the way, actually, in this footage, I'm not sure if he did anything wrong, but the cops are there, and they can handle it. They don't need the FBI. So Merrick Garland was on Capitol Hill, and some of our favorites were there to uh, find out what is going on. Here's Jim Jordan, Republican of Ohio said there's no way you're going to be treating parents as domestic terrorists, but you got the National Security Division in a press release regarding your memo that day. My memo does not mention the National Security Divisions. It's addressed. I didn't say it did. I said the press release accompanying your memo that day from the Department of Justice. Right here it is. I'm going to be as clear talks about as the I National Security be. Division being not, part of this effort. I want to be clear as I can be. This is not about what happens inside school board meetings. It's only about threats of violence. First sentence of your memo, the very first, first sentence, you said, in recent months, there's been a disturbing spike in harassment, intimidation, threats of violence. Yes. When did you first review the data showing this so-called disturbing uptick? So I read the letter, and we have been seeing over time threats. Whoa, 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 whoa. I didn't ask you. So you read the letter. That's, that's your source? So let me be clear, this is not a prosecution or an investigation. Is there investigation. some study, some effort, some investigation someone did that said there's been a disturbing uptick, or you just take the words of the National School Board Association? When the National School Board Association, which represents thousands of school boards and school board members, says that there are these kind of threats, when we read in the newspapers reports of threats of violence, when that is in the context of threats of violence, the source all, for this, for the very first line in your in your memo, time of the gentleman has expired. Was the school the board time association of the gentleman letter? Expired. <laughs> Nadler was always trying to shut things down. Jim Jordan was brilliant. Uh, the attorney general uh, was very weak. And yes, uh, national security notified in the press release. This is a, an official government press release about the letter. And take a look at this portion. They say they will be uh, the, there will be a creation of a task force consisting of representatives from the department's national security division. 
This is about those moms at those school board meetings, a national security level event. I don't think so. But back to Merrick Garland, he has, well, he has a conflict of interest in this big time. So I hate to make this personal, but that's his daughter. Looks like she's very nice. She married some guy. He seems to be a decent fellow, I'm sure. Here's the uh, wedding announcement in the New York Times. Uh, He has a job at a place called Panorama, and it's a major provider of educational materials, woke educational materials. It talks about things like this, systemic social emotional learning. What's that all about? Well, a little bit further inside the website, it says this, International uh, Emotional Learning Day is a perfect opportunity to tell your policymakers that committing to dismantling of systems of oppression and advancing equity-centered selective uh, emotional learning is important to you. Systems of oppression. America. America. Uh, This is what they're about. And, oh, another hero on Capitol Hill, Congressman Mike Johnson, who will be joining us in just a little bit, Republican of Louisiana, had some, and he did this very respectfully, but, hey, there are regulations about this kind of thing. There may be a major conflict of interest. Did you check it out, Mr. Attorney General? Did you have the appropriate agency ethic official look into this? Did you seek guidance as the federal regulation requires? This memorandum is aimed at violence and threats of violence. I understand that, but no did, did you see, excuse me, did you seek ethics counsel before you issued a letter that directly relates to the financial interest of your family? Yes or no? This memorandum does not relate to the financial interests of anyone. It's a th- it's against. I take that as a no. I take that as a no. Memorandum is against violence and threats of violence. I will, don't know. will you, Mr. Attorney General, will you commit? to having the appropriate ethics designee review the case and make the results public. This memorandum is aimed at violence and threats of violence. I understand your talking point. You're not answering my question, Mr. Attorney General. With all due respect, will you submit to an ethics review of this matter, yes or no? There is no company in America or hopefully no law-abiding citizen in America who believes that threats of violence should not be prevented. There are no conflicts of interest that anyone could have. According to you, but sir, with due respect, that's the purpose of the federal regulation. We need objective third parties to review our activities. You don't get to make that decision yourself. It doesn't matter. You're the top, you're the chief law enforcement of this country. This raises questions in the minds of millions of Americans. Awesome. He's going to be on our show in just a little bit, by the way. Oh, this was amusing. There they are. They're adults on Capitol Hill. A big hearing. And for a little while, it felt like fourth grade. Here's Jerry Nadler uh, enforcing the mask policy while he's not wearing a mask. Once again, I would remind all members that guidance from the Office of Attending Physicians states that face coverings are required for all meetings in enclosed spaces, such as committee hearings, except when you are recognized to speak. And that means you, Jim, and Marjorie, and Matt, and a lot of other people I can't recognize because of distance, um, et cetera. So uh, please, everyone, uh, observe that rule. This guy's my congressman, by the way. And he's doing it without a mask on, and he kept doing it. As I've explained to members on many occasions, I view the wearing of face masks as a safety issue, and therefore as an important matter of order and decorum. Because I am responsible for preserving order and decorum in this committee, I am requiring members and staff attending this hearing to wear face masks. 
I came to this decision after the Office of the Attending Physician released its guidance requiring masks in committee hearings some time ago. I note that some members are still not wearing masks. The requirement is that members wear their masks at all times when they are not speaking. Um, if he were really concerned about order and decorum, he would remove himself from that committee and probably Congress as well. Congressman Mike Johnson will be joining us in just a little bit. But first, we take on the fake news. I'll be right back. Hey, I'm Rob Carson, host of the Newsmax Daily Podcast. Tired of boring traditional news updates? How about one with a conservative point of view? And it's actually funny. You can subscribe for free on the Apple Podcast app, and it downloads directly to your smartphone, so you can listen while driving, uh, to work, riding a bike, at the gym, or even while lobster fishing off the East Coast. Subscribe today with the Apple Podcast app, or go to NewsmaxTV.com slash podcasts for other platforms. Something's coming. All I can say... Is, is that, that the, the fake, fake news just doesn't get it, do, do they? <laughs> so the fake news believes that the clip you're about to see is an example of police abuse. Now, it's not, but I want to show you. Maybe you've seen it already. It's pretty much viral, making a big splash here in New York. A couple of cops encourage somebody to leave the subway system who seems to be hassling them for not wearing a mask. I So words are exchanged. You can't really hear what they're saying to each other. As you can see, he's on the other side now. Ma'am, tell me your badge number right now. Ma'am, tell me your badge number right now. And they blow him off. I think that might be my favorite part. All right, so it looks like these cops, I haven't seen the previous video, nobody has, but uh, they were being hassled by some guy. Put on your mask, put on your mask, put on your mask. Was he roughed up? Was he beaten? Police have the authority to remove somebody from the subway uh, station if they deem it appropriate. Anyway, we've all seen a lot of videos over the past couple of years. This one deeply troubled the mayor. I was troubled by that video. I didn't like what I saw one bit. I saw the officers not wearing their masks in the subway. That's evident. That's unacceptable. We've given this instruction a thousand times. And if you're going to be in law enforcement, you actually have to participate in following the law. I expect there will be discipline. Gosh. All right. I ride the subway every day, by the way. Nobody wears their mask in the station. When you put it, when you get on the train, that's another story. The police commissioner, the top cop, if you will, in New York, uh, made the matter even worse. Absolutely inexcusable. There's discipline imposed, and we expect that discipline to be meted out. There's no excuse for what I saw in that video. Wow. But both of these guys were totally fine with the havoc of Black Lives Matter summer. You saw it. I saw it. Nobody seemed to be backing up the cops, especially those in positions of power on the Democrat side. They had to encourage this stuff. So back to these two cops in some subway station, some guy giving them a hard time for not wearing a mask, getting in the way of doing their job I have no problem with this whatsoever. 
But here in this city and Democrats everywhere, they don't like backing the cops. That's not their initial reaction. I want to show you something from last summer that was disturbing in a way. See this cop? He pulled his gun and he's pointing it. Watch this again. This video went viral last summer. All right. I was on my couch. I remember watching this on the news. And here came uh, Mayor de Blasio right after it. What did he think of this? That police officer drew his gun at some point yesterday. That, to me, seeing that video was absolutely unacceptable. Now, I don't know all the circumstances, and we must know all the facts. There will be an immediate full investigation of that incident. So it is not the place of an officer to pull a gun in the middle of a crowd, knowing that there are peaceful protesters in that crowd. That is unacceptable. That is dangerous. And I want you to note on that video how a superior officer immediately came over and moved that officer away from that crowd. That officer should have his gun and badge taken away today. Wow. So I see this on my couch and I'm like, this is, uh, he's pretty definitive about all this. Let me see if I can find that video. And I did. And I said, well, what happened right before the cop pulls his gun? This happened. Another officer threatened with deadly force. Look at this, right over the head. Boom. Did you see that? One more time. He's hit over the head with some sort of a piece of wood. And then another cop actually responds, I think, appropriately. That was deadly force. Who did that? Let's see the whole thing from start to finish, please. So you see that somebody, <laughs> deadly force, being hit in the back of the head with a piece of wood, that's deadly force. And it would be appropriate to draw a weapon. But I found that out in about two minutes. De Blasio, the mayor of the city, didn't bother. Just went on camera and said, unacceptable, and uh, take his gun and his badge. Brings me back to those cops the other day, uh, <laughs> minding their own business. Some jerk gets in the way. And by the way, I don't know if this is relevant or not, but uh, the police department here and actually in many communities across the country, far more diverse than the far left wants to acknowledge. Something to think about. Uh, these cops get hassled for not wearing a mask. Joe Biden, the president of the United States, can go anywhere he wants. This guy, after he shamed the entire country to do their patriotic duty, wear a mask. Here he is in a restaurant, not only outside, but inside the restaurant not wearing a mask. So I'm gonna give the Biden White House a little bit of credit here. At least they're still having in-person briefings with reporters actually in the room. It should be happening that way, and, um, but not everybody's doing it. Here in New York, the mayor of New York City has press conferences with no press. They're not in the room. What happens? Everybody zooms in, all right? And they ask uh, on the phone, and some of them, boy, talk about suck-ups. The next is Amanda from Politico. Morning, Mr. Mayor, how are you? Good, Amanda, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, thank you. 
and it goes on like this. It goes on like this, and it's a little uh, ridiculous, don't you think? Um, this is what it normally is like and what it should be like. Reporters in person asking the mayor questions, but they've exploited the pandemic for an easier time of a press conference. They've exploited it for so many reasons. Look, I know I'm getting a little bit in New York here, but uh, this is important. We have a big election. We're going to choose the next mayor. And there was a ridiculous, phony debate last night on NBC News. It was Curtis Sliwa, the Republican, versus the Democrat, Eric Adams, on the left. All right. So every time it actually got interesting, every time they actually started talking to each other, the moderators uh, shut down the conversation. They just, let's move on. No, 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 no. Can They were out to protect the Democrat watch. Eric, you're with the elites. Uh, the calls to Brooklyn okay. Borough President in office. You've we got potholes galore, graffiti, right, garbage all over Brooklyn. We have a related I mean, question. Quality of life is zilch. You have to take responsibility okay, with Stewart, that with your partner, Sally de Blasio. Okay, thank Sally you. Mr. Sliwa, we have to move on. City. I'm sorry. Mr. Adams, just a quick yes or no follow-up for you. We have to take care of them. Okay. We have to we show have to, compassion. I'm sorry, Mr. Sliwa, I have to, we have to move on to the question for you. Eric Adams spent more time on vacation in Monaco. Who goes to Monaco? We have to so it, it goes on like this. Whenever he starts to make a point, whenever it starts to get interesting, the fake news jumps in. They always, always mess up these debates. We saw it at the presidential level. It's happening at the local level. The fake news should be banned, should be banned from these debates. Just let the candidates... Uh, I think that's better. We can find some sort of parameters, but you got to get the fake news out of there. All right. Oh, this is good. Joe Biden, <laughs> Mr. Amtrak, right? Oh, boy, Joe and Amtrak. I mean, who cares? He commuted to work like uh, 50 million other people. A hundred in history, people take the train. It's no big deal. But boy, oh, boy, he thinks it makes him really, really special. So he, he told another story that... Um, well, just doesn't add up. It just can't be true. Joe tries to say that Amtrak acknowledged him for having ridden two million miles. Right around the same time, the Air Force recognized him for flying 2,000 miles on Air Force Two when he was vice president. But the story literally doesn't add up. This is about the fourth or fifth time he's told the story as president. And uh, each time it actually gets even more exaggerated. Listen. Amtrak is here. They can tell you that you, could, you should name half the line after me. <laughs> I am the most railroad guy you're ever going to meet. Does he look like the most railroad guy you're ever going to meet, Joe Biden? No. Not to nitpick, but I think this is the most railroad guy you're ever going to meet. Or maybe uh, this guy is the most railroad guy you're ever going to meet. All right. But more from Joe's story. 2,100,000 miles on Amtrak. Hear me now? Not a joke. Not a joke, but it is a lie. What happened was, when you are a president or vice president, they keep meticulous mileage of when you fly an Air Force aircraft. And so about, uh, I guess it was uh, seven years in to, uh, to my tenure as vice president, all right, just keeping notes here. Seven years in would be the year 2016. Okay, remember that, 2016. Continue with your story, Joe. 
And I used to always like to uh, <clears throat> take Amtrak home on Friday. My, I tried to go home and see my mom, who was living with us at the time after my dad passed, and I tried to get home. Well, his mom died in, I'm sorry, 2010. Okay, so this is not adding up, but uh, it seemed like a nice lady. Nothing against her, by the way. And uh, the Secret Service are wonderful. They're the best in the world. They never liked me taking Amtrak because it stops too often and too many people can get on and you don't know. And uh, but I also there was a but I uh, it turned out I was about number three in seniority on the road at the time. If you did now well, I'm in terms of actual time on the road. Three in seniority. I tried to figure out what he did. He mean the oldest, the most. He seems to think he's the only guy over the age of 60 who continued riding the train. More. And uh, a lot of the folks in Amtrak became my family. Not a joke. I'd ride every day. I, I commuted every single day for 36 years. Um, the romanticizing of this railroad is a little bit much, right? You've been on the railroad. I've been on the railroad. I've been on Amtrak. It's not a pleasant experience. It certainly isn't a family experience. Uh, all right, please, more. As pres vice president of the United States, after my wife and daughter were killed, I went home to see my family. Never stopped going doing that. I'm sorry, but he does that too much. Too much, right? I'm s sorry that happened, but it's just too much. Every time, every time. And he said, I just read, big deal, big deal, whatever it was, a million, 200,000 miles, Air Force. You know how many miles you did Amtrak? And I said, no, Ange, I don't have any idea, pal. He said, let me tell you, we were at the retirement dinner. And he said, we added it up. You averaged 100, I think it says 21 days a year. 121 days a year, 36 years, plus as vice president, boom, boom. You have traveled over 2 million miles, Joe. I don't hear any more about the Air Force. <laughs> well, sorry, but we did the math. We actually did the math, and it doesn't add up. Uh, not by a long shot. It's 200-mile round trip, by the way. And that comes out to a grand total of 865,224 miles. Far cry from 2 million. All right, but after he tells the obviously false, made-up, conflated story, then he reminds him who's boss. In the Build Back Better plan... I got more money for passenger rail than the entire Amtrak system cost to begin with. Who does that, huh? It's a guy who has contempt for his audience and maybe even contempt for the country. We'll be right back with Congressman Mike Johnson. Stay with us. If you've had it with the old news and the same spent, well, then Spicer and Company's your place for the inside story and for the facts that you need to know. Are you familiar with Title V of the Code of Federal Regulations, which addresses the rules of impartiality for executive branch employees and officials? I am very familiar with it, and I want to be clear once again that there's nothing in this memorandum which has any effect on the kinds of curriculums that are taught, or the ability of parents to complain about the kinds of... I understand your position on, on the free speech of parents. 
So the attorney general of the United States, who just unleashed essentially the FBI on those school board meetings because the women have been doing too good and making too effective arguments, um, has a major conflict of interest in all of this. And it was uh, brilliantly brought out by our next guest, our guest right now, actually, Congressman Mike Johnson, Republican of Louisiana. Sir, welcome back to Newsmax. Great job today. Hey, thanks a lot. It's great to be with you. This was a big hearing, you know. Committee has jurisdiction and oversight responsibility of the Department of Justice, but this is the first time we've had a chance to question Attorney General Merrick Garland since he took the helm seven months ago. And before we get into it, I mean, he seemed very, from what I saw, um, stubborn, uh, resistant, and almost uncooperative. Your overall thoughts about today? Well, you know, we were surprised. I, I think many people who watched this hearing today thought that he was one of the worst witnesses that have ever appeared before the committee. I mean, I practiced law for 20 years before I got to law school. I've questioned a lot of witnesses in my career, and I would say he, he ranks up there with some of the worst that were ever. He seemed unprepared. He was completely evasive. Uh, he, he dodged question after question, and he used simple talking points that apparently were prepared for him by someone else. Uh, it was very unimpressive, and the idea that he would have been the top pick of the Democrats to be on the U.S. Supreme Court uh, makes us all uh, wonder what was going on there. So most people know about the letter that he sent in a very public way to the FBI. Uh, hey, uh, take a look at these uh, school board meetings. It was so unnecessary. We know that these meetings have not gotten out of hand. And if they do, there are local cops to take care of it. So it was clearly a political move. But there is a conflict of interest potentially that he has involving his daughter and I guess his son-in-law. Can you take us through that, please? Yes, it's a very important question, and he refused to answer it today. Here, here's what we know. He, he sent this memo directing you know, the DOJ officials and FBI agents to get involved in these local school board matters, debates about curricula, et cetera. And what we found out after that was issued is that his own family has a direct financial tie and an interest in the very curricula that the parents are opposing at the school board meetings. His son-in-law, married to his daughter, uh, was one of the co-founders of this group called Panorama Education. And they're involved in statistical surveys of students, often without parental consent, by the way. They worked with tens of millions of students. They brag about on their website across the country. And, and all of that is in a bid to push curricula that is related to sexual identity matters, critical race theory, and some of these other wild ideologies that parents don't want their kids being exposed to. So, so that the, the bottom line is the attorney general, his own close family members have a direct financial interest in something that he is using the full weight of the Justice Department to try to stop. And um, this is a, a real problem, the opposition to the curriculum that his own son-in-law is selling. And the Title V thing, I mean, this is, uh, look, there are a lot of regulations in government, and there are lots of rules governing a conflict of interest. And it's pretty, I, not maybe not straightforward, but you have to get these things checked out, right? And it's yes. clear that he didn't. It is very straightforward and it's very clear now, according to his testimony today, that he didn't. He would not answer the question. Anyone in his position is required by federal law under the Code of Federal Registry to, to seek an ethics counsel review before they involve themselves in a matter where a family member would have a financial interest. He, he clearly did not do that. And I asked him directly multiple times today if he would just simply clear the matter up, if he would just submit to a simple ethics inquiry about this, make a public report about it. And he refused to answer that question. So it looks like 
to many of us an admission of guilt. He, he, he missed it, and we're not going to let this be the end of it. We'll continue to pursue this matter, because I think it's important. It, it, it brings into question the, the lack of impartiality of the, the top law enforcement official in this country. That's really, really important stuff. And finally, just because he was so um, stubborn and uh, sticking to talking points, is that because Republicans are in the minority? I mean, really, he's like, well, I don't have to really worry about you guys because Democrats have the House, Democrats have the Senate, and uh, I answer to them, not you. That was the vibe I was getting. Am I onto something? I think you're onto something. I think that was the vibe, but I think he is also wise enough to recognize everyone now believes that we are going to retake the majority in a red wave next fall, and there will be a reckoning for this. We will have the votes, we will have the gavel and the Judiciary Committee, and we will do the committee's job, and that is oversight and accountability of the DOJ. So this is not the end of this issue. Congressman Mike Johnson, we are glad you're there, uh, very much so. Republican of Louisiana, to be continued, sir, and we'll be right back. January 6th, we never stop hearing about it, but you never hear about other things that might make the left look bad. This looks an awful lot like January 6th. It happened last week at the Department of the Interior. These people, I believe, are uh, climate change. Uh, I can't, I don't exactly understand what's on their mind, but they're upset at the Interior Department and they tried to take the place over. It was pretty wild and some got inside and they refused to leave. It was ugly. Congressman Greg Stubbe today confronted the attorney general. He compared what you're seeing right here, which happened last Friday, to what happened on January 6th. And Mr. Attorney General, I mean, do you see what's happening here? Take a look. And we're all, most of us are lawyers here, so we use evidence in court. So you got two pictures here. One picture is from January 6th of individuals forcing themselves into the Capitol. This other picture is extremists forcing themselves into the Interior Department. So looking at these pictures, and I know you say you're not aware of this, which blows my mind that you're not aware of uh, violent extremists forcing their way into a department right here in Washington, D.C., into a federal building. But just with these evidence, with these two pictures that you see here of people forcing themselves into a federal building, would you call both of, both of these acts domestic terrorism? Look, I'm not going to comment about particular matters. You very, as I laid out, very welcomely call them domestic terrorists, but you're refusing to call groups like this who commit the same atrocities here in Washington, D.C., domestic terrorists. Pretty interesting, right? And uh, the attorney general had no good answers. All right, now this. You're emotionally abusing our children. Highly politicized agendas on our most vulnerable constituents. You cannot accomplish anything because of your skin color. This is still America, ma'am. They're all amazing, all amazing. Hey, Liz Harrington is the spokesperson for Donald J. Trump, former RNC national spokeswoman, and she comes to us live from Mar-a-Lago. Uh, Liz Harrington, welcome back to Newsmax. How are you, and how is the president? Hey, hey Greg, thanks for having me. He's great. Uh, that's pretty wild. Uh, Mar-a-Lago, is it open right now? 
Uh, it's opening uh, in a week or so. So it's it's not fully open right now. All right. You know, something we've been taking a look at, uh, January 6th, how those folks have been treated. We see some of them as political prisoners. And not many have talked about um, the women. There are women still in custody. And uh, some feel they've been treated, well, I feel they've been treated awfully, along with the men. Just what are your thoughts right now? What are the pre What's the president thinking about these folks still in custody? Well, I think it's really disgraceful. And the president said today the real insurrection happened on November 3rd. What was happening on January 6th was, you know, maybe up to a million people protesting what happened on November 3rd. And what we are seeing now is the dismantling of law and order and replacing it with the thought police. So if you have good thoughts, according to the regime, then you're guilty of no crimes. But if you have bad thoughts, if you disagree uh, with the regime, then they throw the book at you. And in many cases, they invent the book that they throw at you, parading in a public building. A lot of these crimes were misdemeanors, uh, and yet they're in solitary confinement. And that segment, when you showed the contrast of what Congressman Stubbe showed, I, the Department of Interior or any of those protesters in solitary confinement, I would certainly like to know. So it's awful what's happening to, to women here, but I think it's more it's broader than that. It's thought crimes. Exactly. Wow. Um, I love to. Uh, you're right. Uh, so, hey, what can you tell us about the uh, new social media venture or, or uh, uh, whatever it is? Uh, Donald Trump came out with a <laughs> new platform of some kind. Can you fill us in? Yeah, we uh, President Trump broke all stock records today. We're very, very excited. It's called Truth Social. It's part of the Trump Media and Technology Group that he just announced last night. You know, it's been far too long, really, that big tech has had this monopoly over the public discourse. And we've seen people be censored, shadow banned, and of course, the worst, deplatforming the president of the United States. It's unacceptable. President Trump said he was going to take them on, and this is one way. He's already suing them, but now he's going to really offer an alternative, real platform that can be open to everyone, to tens of millions of Americans. I mean, he had over 200 million followers when you add up together all the social media platforms. And this is very important because free speech, if we lose free speech, we're going to lose all of our other freedoms as well. We see what Twitter does. We see what YouTube and Google yeah. and all of these awful companies, uh, an alternative is coming soon and it's going to be called Truth Social. Love it. Love it. You know, it's amazing. Uh, he's not in the White House, but he's providing more leadership, I believe, than the guy in the White House. Uh, it's, it's fascinating. Absolutely. Liz Harrington, indeed. Liz Harrington, spokesperson for Donald J. Trump, 45th president of the United States. We thank you to be continued, and we'll be right back. So the fake news would like us to forget about what happened in Afghanistan, what, six weeks ago? Our horrible, horrible defeat that was so unnecessary. And it makes, uh, it should make Americans everywhere angry, especially those who served. Travis Mills is a retired U.S. Army Staff Sergeant with the 82nd Airborne. Uh, he was severely wounded in Iraq, I'm sorry, in Afghanistan in 2012. It was his third tour of duty in that country. Travis joins us right now. I understand he is uh, very upset about what happened, but first, we are thrilled to have you here, Travis. Uh, you've been very vocal, very outspoken. How are you doing? 
Hey, doing well. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Uh, welcome to my man cave. I'll pour you a drink in a little bit. Okay. Okay. Listen, um, give us a sense. Uh, veteran, I, I know that the, the community, the culture, the country has moved on, but my sense is you and a lot of other veterans, especially those who have been there, have not, and for good reason. You know, it's been pretty hard for a lot of guys to realize that we still did good over there. And I've done a lot of the counseling with people calling me and asking me what my thoughts are, because at the end of the day, I don't really get lost on the fact of uh, my arms and legs, you know, are gone. This is a fake hand. This one's gone. And I just got to remember that I did my job over there. I did good. I mean, it's not the way that we should have exited. That was a terrible, terrible plan uh, to not keep Kandahar and Bagram air bases where they have room for planes was a bit ridiculous. So my, my biggest thing is I just try to keep the morale up and let people know like, Hey, we still did good over there, even though the execution of our withdrawal was terrible. Uh, your message for people like Joe Biden, people who uh, really just want us to move on is what? I mean, you know, I, I think it was uh, uh, horrible exit strategy. Strategy wasn't done properly, and I think that what I want people to realize is when you see like the U.S. national soccer team, right, taking a knee, and then you watch Afghans clinging to the plane, literally 300 feet above ground before they fall, you know, and, and die. That's the promise that America brings to people. That's why people love this country so much and can't wait to, you know, try to get here and prosper. So. When it comes to the withdrawal, the 13 service members that were killed and just the, the planning of the whole thing, I just, I'd like to ask why and how this happened. I mean, how could this have happened? And, you know, I think for the service members, I just want to remind them that it's very important that they realize we still, you know, did good over there. We were able to dig, you know, wells, build schools, and our mission is what we did. So at the end of it, it's not a fairy tale ending. Afghanistan couldn't stand up on their own. And, you know, I just want people that are really, um, really, you know, hurting about this to understand, like, we did our mission, we came home, it wasn't the proper way, I don't feel like, but at the same time, I mean, there's a lot of damage control that has to go on now for the people that feel like, what was it all for? And, you know, I'm trying to do my best to keep my spirits up so that when people call me asking, I can be there for them. The Travis Mills Foundation, uh, you can go to travismillsfoundation.org. Um, Tell us a little bit about how this works, if you don't mind. Absolutely. So I was able to start the Travis Mills Foundation with my wife. We decided to start bringing out recalibrated warriors. I hate being called wounded, so recalibrated is my thing. And we bring out these veterans and show them how to do things adaptively with their families. So we just broke ground in a $6 million building to help us operate for 42 weeks out of the year. And we bring these families out and let them know, hey, you know what? Don't live life on the sidelines. Be active with your family. Be active in society and live out the slogan that I've coined as my own for never give up, never quit. Um, you know, we're very grateful for the people that support us. Um, we stretch every dollar to the maximum potential and we're going to continue to do good things because there is a need and watching a service member that's lost both arm, you know, both legs and an arm say he can't do archery. And then all of a sudden he's almost in the Paralympics, just a shot away from being there um, is amazing because we showed him how to do that and said, look, life goes on. Let's just buckle up and get after it, you know, and uh, we have a post-traumatic stress program as well for anybody that's interested. TravisMillsFoundation.org. Uh, we have to go. Do me a favor. What's your what's your motto one more time? Never give up, never quit. Never what? Never give up, never quit. We love it. 
We love it. Thank you, Travis Mills, very, very much. What? <laughs> Don't do that. Thanks, guys. Have a great day. <laughs> uh, do whatever you want. I'm only kidding. Uh, Travis, thank you very much. To be continued, come back soon. We'll be right back. Information. Truth. Is freedom. Is Newsmax. It's real news for real people. Good night. Good luck. Thank you very much. Uh, Stinchfield is next, and I will be here tomorrow, Friday.